Hey, Tyler. Hey, Jay. <laughs> oh, hey, Rachel. Oh, hey, what's up? How's Hi. it going? Good oh, to see Rachel's you again. Here? Oh, my hey, gosh. Rachel. It is... I didn't see you there when I was standing across the room. <laughs> so I have a question. And Tyler's all the way over there. Tyler's so it's all just, the way over there, so it's just, just us too. Yeah. You are dropped off on a desert island with the most annoying person you know. You don't need to name names. You're allowed to if you want. But you also have a old school CD player, the disc man, if you will. It's the only time you get relief from the most annoying person ever is when you are listening to the disc man and you have the ability to bring... <laughs> So this is from a very specific era yeah. when Discman was. No, no, you can any current album, anything. But it has to be on compact disc. Well, it does because you can only take three, Ooh. three CDs. Does and it can't be like a mixed CD. You want it to be. No, CDs. it has to be an actual <laughs> for sale CD, in the that's store. The yeah, that's the wishing for no. I, I, I mean, yeah. I wanted to make sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's. Oh my gosh, <sighs> so any CDs. Any CDs, but you only get three. I don't like this question. I don't either. It's too difficult. Like, it's a great question. It's, it yeah. is a great question. And I don't like it. I mean, the biggest problem for me is that I don't listen to CDs as, like, albums. Yeah. Um, so it's a really right. hard question for me. See, I do. I, I, I would be okay with this, this um, arrangement. I'll make it harder for you. None of them can be Dave Matthews Band CDs for you. Still okay. Oh, no. <laughs> can still do it. Oh, no. Um, I think Dirty Computer. Ooh, Janelle Monae. Janelle Monae. Okay. Um, so very current. Very you know, current. like two years old? Yeah. Yeah. And barely. Like, I mean, it was... No, it's only a year old, actually. It came out last releasing, spring. When's the last single release? From from that album? Maybe like three months ago? Didn't... Um, no. She hasn't released anything else since Dirty Computer. I mean, like, no. The uh, single off of the, like... Oh, from the album? Off the album. Um, I think the last one was released maybe like a month after the album came out. So it would have oh, been... It would have okay. been like... May of 2018? Uh, May of okay. 2018, I think. Okay. Oh, she did dump a bunch of stuff right away. Yeah. Because the way uh, the way You Make Me Feel came out before. Yeah, she, a lot of her singles came out I before. I love that song. That was part I of it. I love that song so much. It's really good. Okay, sorry. Um, so yeah, I think Janelle Monet because like it sounds different enough like across the album that it would be mm-hmm. Were you the one cool. who haven't listened to the Metropolis stuff? I, no, I have. Okay. I just I don't don't listen to it all the way through. I don't listen to albums all yeah. the way through. That's what it was. Yeah. But I have listened. That hurts my heart. I you, have listened to it all the way through. Particularly those. So her first Janelle Monet. Side 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 tangent. Side note. Uh, Janelle Monet. Uh, her first three albums are all concept albums, and it's part of one larger concept. Yes. So they are. It's like. And almost to the point that I don't know if Dirty Computer is part of it or not. It kind, kind of. of fits. Kind but Because it, it was on, I think it was supposed to be a four-part or five-part thing. Yes. And three it of them are very clear. kept getting bigger yeah. also. And it's amazing mm-hmm. uh, and works really well. Like, as concept albums go, it actually is very listenable. But the songs stand on their own that you wouldn't know it's a concept album yep. until you hear it in the concept of everything. But it's a clear concept album. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, so that's one. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Although, also, side note, I wouldn't say that it's my favorite concept album, actually. Uh, I think the best is Splendor and Misery uh, by Flipping. Uh, if you want oh. any. If you want any. That's not, that's not one of my three albums. It's the, the best concept. That's the best concept album. Is that the Splendor one with the white Misery. cover? Uh, yeah, with the astronaut. The, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, with Davy Diggs as the lead oh, singer. Man. Oh, yeah. That's the best concept album. That's not one of my three it's, albums. That's, a, that's an acquired taste, though. It gotta, is. Because it's a musical. Like it's very, it's in inherently musical, but it's also intentionally abrasive. Yes. Yeah. Um, but as far as like concept albums go, I think yeah. it's the best one. Oh yeah. Um, but 
I think I need to actually look at my music too. I think Why? of John Henry actually. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. By They Might Be Giants. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think John Henry is the album that I would like most want to be able to sit with for the longest period of time. Yeah. It's not my favorite album by them but it's the one that I would be most okay having as the only one. Those are very two different discussions. Yes. What is your favorite album and what are you most comfortable leaning into? Oh, yeah. For a while? Yes. Yeah. So I, I think that that's the one that I'm most okay with sitting with. Um, and then the third, I'm literally like trying mm. to look through my music. Um, I think the third is maybe actually probably uh made in the am by one direction hmm. interesting what number is that the fifth one fifth one so the, the, the last one. one the zaneless one so you go no zane i if i if i'm going <laughs> long term you don't need zane i don't need zane oh and no one, i will no also note zane. i have a one direction tattoo from a song and it is not on that album yeah but that's still the album that i would choose mm. yeah what do you got what do you have first? <laughs> you, it's your question. You had more time to think about it. Yeah. Well. Okay. So, and I'm, are we playing the "I'm Not Allowed to Have Dave Matthews"? I love that. Please uh, do let's that. Let's do that, and then okay. you could tell us what the Dave Matthews would have been, unless but, they're all three Dave Matthews. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. I need some variety. So I think, I think I have two pretty well sorted out. Uh, I would go with uh, "The Light of Things Hoped For" by Brave Saint Saturn. Oh yeah. Is that the second Speaking one? Speaking of concept albums, yeah, that's, that's the, second the second one. Of two. They, they have two. Of albums. three. They have three. Yeah. Third one's. Oof. It's good? good. Okay. Yeah. It's I wasn't good. sure what that oof was. It's 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 the landing you need from oh, the nice, second nice, one. Nice, nice. Um, and so those are concept albums, yeah. They are. They right. are. Is it's, it one giant concept? Yeah. So, so the three the first much like like uh, the Metropolis Genoa yeah. A all the, fit together. The first one is it's a it's based on a group of astronauts that go to Saturn. Um, the first one is them leaving Bravely. home. Bravely. Yes. Bravely going to Saturn. Um, they the first one they leave oh, wait, home. Wait, wait. Is the good Christian stuff theme playing? Oh, it might be. I yeah. think it is. I think it is. <laughs> um, and they really hide it well that, that, that any of this has like a Christian undertone to it. Until so it's like the very the, end. The C.S. Lewis Paralander yeah. series? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the first one is leaving home, uh, the launch, the takeoff. And then the second one is kind of like a mini Apollo 11 that they're up there and disaster strikes uh, and they get stuck behind Titan, the moon. Yeah. Um, and then it, that one ends with they're gonna be okay but that's it so but the third one is them coming home anyway the second one that's album one album two speaking of i think you brought up jazz in the last one yeah john coltrane's a love supreme that's so good it's a short little album so you're gonna have to listen to it a bunch three long tracks yeah yeah they're huge long songs uh but it is one of the best jazz albums i think possible um it's a little inaccessible to the novice jazz, jazz listener. Yeah, it's, it's John a deep Coltrane cut. is inaccessible to yeah, novice. Yeah, and this is this is un- inaccessible for John Coltrane. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's, but it's, it's a delight. Like mm-hmm. it's it's worthwhile. Um, it's so good. It's so good. I don't know what I'm gonna come down on for it's number all about three. God too. Sorry. It's yeah. All about God. It yeah. too is it's not blatantly Christian, but is blatantly spiritual. Yes. It's yeah. when he, he, he got a big boy. He started his Christian, got a boy base of religion. He threw some, uh, I think some Hinduism and some Muslim and all kinds of stuff. And so it's about God in the yeah. biggest Abstract. sense of this spiritual creative being. Yeah. I don't know what the third one is yet, but it's going to be something acoustic. I'm trying to balance my, I've got hard rock. I've got jazz. Death Cab. 
or not? No, I, I, was, I was trying to go. Uh, I was trying to be insulting. It's uh, dashboard was what I meant to say. No, it's not yeah. dashboard. <laughs> Death Cab might not be far away though. Yeah, Transatlanticism yeah. can take you places. Oh, I don't know if I'd take Transatlanticism or Plans though. Plans is really good. Plans is so good. It's probably Plans. We'll go with that. Plans has a. I will follow you into the dark. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And if I'm taking Dave Matthews, it's going to be one of the live albums because then I can Red have Rocks. everything. No, Red Rocks is bad. Or like one of the, uh, one of the, live. I don't need. You can take it. I would go listener supported. Okay. That's one of the better ones. Your okay. Turn. I've I've stalled you long. Yeah, enough. yeah, yeah. You have. Uh, I mean, probably Transatlanticism was going to be one. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I want to say the Blue Album because I love that album, but it's only it's just barely over 30 minutes long and that's that's too short yeah your annoying person's gonna catch up to you <laughs> yeah 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 um and it's very samey um so i think i'd want something with i mean uh maybe okay computer oh yeah or i mean really kid a i think i like better as an album but it's weird yeah um and amnesiac i mean those three i really like so there's all radiohead albums uh, all good when they were their most interesting and they've always been interesting but they really hit a uh, stride of being super not caring whether it was accessible but still making stuff that in retrospect is pretty accessible yeah it's just weird can I tell you a sad thing my first entree into the Radiohead was the, the In Rainbows really yeah it wasn't Creep no oh man and that was a bad first entree into Radiohead that's not a bad album though it's okay but it's not Radiohead at oh I, I really like that album yeah. have you heard of the thing where it mixes with uh Okay, computer. No. Oh my. There's a whole. <laughs> we just bursting. broke Tyler. There's yeah. a whole. I don't want to go too depth. Uh, it's called ones and zeros, and you could look it up. Um, but there's a whole concept. I just pulled my contact out of my eyeball. That's neat. Um, uh, I got it back in. Um, okay. There's a there's a whole idea that so the the two albums came out almost exactly ten years apart. Right. They're ten letters, and so it's okay, computer in rainbows. So it's two and eight, two and eight. Yeah. Um, and there there's a theory. That's one of those theories. It's like the Pink Floyd uh, Wizard of Oz thing where it matches up. It's insane if that's true, but it also matches up too well to completely be able to be dismissed. Right. So the whole concept is that you can fold the albums in together. So you go track, like alternating tracks Yeah. Um, to a point and fitter, fitter happier, which is halfway through, okay, computer. It's this weird kind of uh, robot talking, like computer talking about being fitter and happier. Uh, <laughs> As, as yeah. aptly titled. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you go to that one and then you go back. There's a there's a way to arrange them. But the thing is, if you arrange, intersperse the tracks between OK Computer and In Rainbows, it is one cohesive album. And both musically it fits and lyrically it fits. Huh. And in a way that it was designed to be one album. And it seemed crazy, except Tom York, the lead singer of Radiohead, said in response to someone alluding to it, said something like, I'm surprised it took people this long to figure it out. Huh. Yeah. Uh, so not confirming it, but certainly not denying it. Interesting. And, and it is it is a great, it makes In Rainbows more interesting. And it really, like, the temp, there will be, like, uh, there's beeps at the end of one song that then actually feed right into the beeps of a song on In Rainbow. Like, it does match up. That's In a that's Wizard of Oz kind of way. Yeah. Um, uh, a little bit. Um, no, I mean like my way. Of oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but so I think it's just it's just I think ones and zeros. If you Google Radiohead ones and zeros or ones and zeros, okay, computer in rainbows, it'll it'll come up. And there's a very specific way to do it. 
Uh, you do have to like crossfade a little bit. Somebody's got to have a Spotify playlist for this. Right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I can just, I'll, put, I'll put a link to it on, on this episode. So uh, I mean, I'll go with OK Computer probably because that's okay. the most most accessible. So OK Computer, uh, let's say. Oh, oh, okay. Here we go. Uh, here are my CDs. It's gonna be OK Computer, um, Transatlanticism. No, 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 no. Uh, this is Jazz Six, Ooh. which is Charles Mingus. Um, it, so there was a compilation of This Is Jazz. I think it was made by Columbia. Um, and, and This Is Jazz Five is Thelonious Monk. That one's great, but the Mingus one is probably uh, more varied and a little longer. And then my third album would be um, Songs in the Key of Springfield, which is the ah. soundtrack album to The Simpsons. Oh, uh, they have three <laughs> different soundtrack albums. The first two are great because they represent the first like. 10, 12 when seasons. The show yeah, was when the show good. was and good. So, and the first one is really, really good. And just like, really, it has probably 35 tracks on it. So it would have some depth to it that mm. I can really get down with. So that would be my three. That's a that's a good three. Yeah. We've all done our three. Well, I'm Jay. And I'm Tyler. I'm Rachel. And this is Roughing, Roughing the, the Pastor. So I have a student in my youth group. This is an introduction to where I want this episode to go. I'm driving it. I have a student in my youth group that's into cosplay. Cool. And I love talking to this kid. Shout out Fluffy. Uh, because Ooh, I, Fluffy. I love nothing more than when someone is totally passionate about something that I know nothing about. <laughs> uh, so he tells me all about Watching the, someone love something. Yeah, yeah we right. Talked about that. It's, the, it's the beginning of Blue Like Jazz, that illustration of... When you watch someone love something, you can appreciate it in yeah. a way that you couldn't have otherwise. So very true. Uh, so they might be giants. Yeah. And I confessed before we began that I know uh, Istanbul. I know Particle Man, but I had to be reminded that I knew <laughs> Particle Man. And they did the intro and the outro to the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, which included my favorite line of all music. We're split in the scene. We're full of beans. Yeah. Which is just thoroughly out there. And I loved it. You are a big fan. Uh, I don't even know if fan's the right word. You're I, deeply passionate about I They Might Be Giants. incredibly passionate about They Might Be Giants, yeah. I would like you, by the end of this episode, without playing any of it for to me. To convince you to be passionate To about bring me on Giants. board. I love now, it. They Might Be Giants has been, when people say, who's your favorite band, invariably, I go back to They Might Be Giants. because And, and I kind of don't answer. want to use that because it's such a, it's less accessible than many other bands that I love. Uh, oftentimes I'll say Radiohead or Death Cab mm -hmm. because more people will know them and it's still, it's a little more accessible. And a lot, if people know They Might Be Giants, they often think of them as a kid's band yeah. because they've had four children's kids albums. albums yeah. uh, and their children's albums are so similar to their regular albums that they sounded like a kid's band to many even before they were yeah. identified, even before they did the kids' albums. That's I had always assumed they were kind of a spoof band. That, right. Like they were just goofing around. So like, yeah, but they're not at all. Like no. they're not in any way satire or um 
like a joke band. Like they wouldn't get played on Dr. Demento. Or if they did, they shouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> so they wouldn't be on a bill with Weird Al. Okay. Even though they also have an accordion as a yeah. as a major instrument. And a lot of their fans listen to Weird Al. Yeah. Right. And a lot of people do compare them to Weird Al. Yeah. And I also love Weird Al. Right. As I said in the previous episode, I love Weird Al unironically mm-hmm. and deeply. And I do think I want to do a Weird Al episode. Yeah. Because we, he's that's, fantastic. That's a good thing. Yeah. And a brilliant. And and bring in Lin-Manuel Miranda and how much he loves Weird Al. Anyway. <laughs> so I'm just starting my, my journey yes. of They Might Be Giants. Where would you, Rachel, musicologist... What album do I start with? Where do I? What's gonna hook me? What album? See, this is what song? This is still the, go, yeah. So the song that I play for people when I like want to trick them into like reacting positively to a Damn <laughs> Giant song. Yeah. There's the song from the album Nanobots called "You're on Fire." Yeah. Okay. Yep. And it is. I'm gonna get out my Spotify and start adding stuff while we're talking. Incredibly accessible. Um, it's got a good video too. It's it's got a great video. That that video really like illustrates how I literally react to the song when I'm listening yeah. to it. Like I can't resist dancing to it. It's also even though it's an odd video, yeah. It's one of their more normal videos yes. in a sense. Like it feels like a video that you would see yeah. from an indie band. 100%. But they had been a band for 25 years when the song came out. Yeah. Something like that. So that song is like incredibly catchy, pop sounding song. I literally think it's impossible to like sit still while listening to the chorus of that song. Okay. It's okay. so catchy. Um, you like gotta bounce around with it. Um, so when I'm like hanging out with friends and they're like, oh, put some music on, I'll like put on a playlist that has that on it and then sit there and watch as everyone is like kind of grooving to it and they're like, what is this? And I'm like, it's They Might Be Giants. Yeah. That <laughs> you, thing you, you keep gotta, on you not listening to. Like, to. like Tell yeah. us who, give us a, a quick, who is. Who are they? Who are they? Who might be giants? Um, So they started off as a band in the mid 80s. Initially, it was two guys, John Linnell and John Flansburg. Um, In the 90s, they picked up a larger group of band members. Um, Not they now have like a set band group um, of Dan Miller, also on guitar, um, Danny Weinkoff on bass and then Marty Beller on the drums. Um, so that's their band. That's been their band since 2005 was The Spine, yeah. I think. And they were, uh, I think, before Marty Beller, their band was, was Dan. Was Dan's and John's, and that was it. Yeah, so it was the band of Dan's, they called them, because yeah. their drummer was Dan. Who was that? What was his last name? Oh, Dan Hickey. Yeah, Dan Hickey. So it was three Dan's and two John's. Dan Hickey. And so it was the John's <laughs> and the band of Dan's. It, yeah. it is a bad middle school name. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it was two Johns and three Dans, uh, mm-hmm. and now Marty is Marty is still considered the new guy, even though he's been in the band for like fifteen years. So now. they've had a long. I don't they've know had if a I long run. Piece that together, and it yeah. still is like the they are the Lennon and McCartney. I mean, they they're a band. Their their touring band became They Might Be Giants. Yes. Like they are officially part of the band, but from a songwriting standpoint, it is exclusively Linnell and. And the other members of the band still see it as the Johns band. Yeah, they're okay. the Ringos of. Yeah. It's really the Johns and then three Ringos. Yeah. They're yeah. along for the ride. Yeah. 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 Okay. And like Ringo, they do let them sing sometimes. Yes, that's true. Uh, both <laughs> both Dan and Danny will sing uh, sometimes. Yes. Yeah. And then Marty has also sung songs. Really? Yeah. Oh, on, on the kids' albums. Yeah. Yeah. So, so paleontologist is which Danny. Two? Dan, it's Danny. Danny. Yeah. It's crazy. I'm a so if you, if you have kids, you know this. So I, I famed Dave Matthews' band fan would place them squarely in the jam band category okay where are we gonna put they might be giants 
what genre of music am I listening to? I'll give you, to? I'll give you a and simple. And don't say rock. I'll yeah. give you a simple where they start. Um, art, house, post-punk. So they would have fit on a radio station with early, even B-52s, even though that's not. Um, I was going to they, they kind of came out of new wave, Yeah, they're too. new wave post-punk. Yes. Yeah. So they, they fit along with um, early um, Elvis Costello. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Early, uh, who's the guy, uh, cruel to be kind, Nick Lowe. Uh, this is real deep, yeah, like stuff. Uh, um, <laughs> Love it though. But uh, I mean, they they are little Talking Heads, probably. I mean, okay. Talking Heads actually, especially because they started in the in the in the mid to early '80s in terms of starting as a band. Their first album comes out in '85. Uh, and then the, I was the, two years old. Yeah, and ni- 1990s when Flood hits, which is the band that I was negative nine years old. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> uh, I was five, so yeah. I clearly knew what was going. So on. So you were yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, was, I was at their shows, um, and they but they started also at a time with uh, other bands that had art house shows. So yeah. they were actually like Pee Wee Herman was in the in New York at, and I LA that. at times. So like he he did a little bit of New York stuff, but they, so very much um, weird stuff. That they knew was weird, but they were less. They weren't weird guys. Yeah. So a lot of the people who came out of that scene were odd, like like Grace Jones type people that are just like, if they walked into a room, you they would make you uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, these were just normal guys. But they who, did really who did weird, weird stuff. stuff. Yeah. But it was weird, like, huh? Not weird, like, oh, I don't like this. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. It didn't. You weren't watching more, someone more. cover themselves in peanut butter, but it would be at the same theater that that would happen yes. after right. them. Yeah. Yes. More more oddball than weird. Yeah. Yeah. But Talking Heads is probably an accessible corollary to where they started in terms of you could they would get played on college radio. Yeah. yeah. College radio in the eighties. They're eighties alternative, which is very different than mainstream alternative, which is what that word actually yeah. means. Now. Yeah. Usually, people think of alternative. It's like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, stuff like that. This is what was being played before that. This is a hard question for a lot of bands in my life, but do you remember the first time you heard them? No. No. <laughs> They've just always been there? My dad was a fan of They Might Be Giants before okay. I was born. Okay. And so I literally don't remember the first time I heard them. They're, they were It's like, just always been they, there. I, I think that you can hear it in the things that I like. And if you know what They Might Be Giants sounds like, you can hear how they shaped mm. what I listen for in music, mm. I think. Yeah. In a way that I can't like quite articulate, but like I think that they're, that's really deeply there. Have you ever seen them live? I have. Tell me about that. I've seen them twice. Um, the first time was the thing that like made me get back into them because I was into them when I was a kid, but my dad only liked this one album, Flood, which is their most famous album. Okay. Um, so if people know what They Might Be Giants album and it's not a kid's album, it's probably Flood. Is that the one that's got like Istanbul and yeah. stuff like on it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hi, thanks for joining us for coffee. I'm John. And I'm John of They Might Be Giants. And we've got a new album out on Electra Records. It's called Flood. Some records that come out today only have 10 songs or less. This makes us angry. But instead of cursing the darkness, John and I have decided to do something about it. We've put out a record with 19 songs on it. And that's why our record is better. So I liked that, and I've always liked that, but I never really got into the rest of their music. Um, But then... I saw them in concert my first year of grad school when they came oh, to wow. St. Louis. So like recently. It was pretty recent. Yeah. yeah. Um, they came to St. Louis and they were promoting their most recent album, which is I Like Fun. And <laughs> I do too. Uh, me too. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's when I saw them in concert for the first time and I like got back into them. I was really into their sound live and I do not always like bands live. Yeah, like right. I, I very rarely actually like bands live anywhere near as much as the album um, is, it, is that a music thing is that a musician maybe? thing 
Because like when I go to see a band, if the, I'm not standing in the right spot in the venue and don't get a good mix, I'm out. Yeah. Um, is it that or is it just like some bands aren't as good live? I mean, it's probably both. Yeah. Li- it's probably a little bit of both. Um, I think that they have performed long enough that they do have the live performance down to a science in a way that maybe some other places, other people don't. Yeah, right. Because they've been around since the 80s. Uh, they've followed like technological developments and stuff like that. Like they've had a lot of time to figure out what they want to sound like live, I think. And they started as an art house live they show. They did. They had a live show before they had an album. Yeah. Right. And um, one of the really interesting things about them, which we may get into, is dial on mm-hmm. So when they first started out, when they they just got a phone number in the in New York, and they, in the Village Voice, just put an ad, because yeah. it was personal ads, they put an ad that just said dial song and it was an actual number that they had a, a voice, like, a, not a voicemail, a uh, answering machine yeah. on tape hooked up to, and they would just put songs, record them directly into the answering machine, so you could call, and it would just, it didn't play a message, it just played the music, and then there was room to leave a message, and so they would say, like, a lot of times it was just hang-ups, but every, time they, every once in a while they would get people talking like what is going on with this song and there's one on, on uh, one of their albums that it's these two people trying to figure out what this was about for like 45 these two minutes. old people yeah uh, and then and, they just have a conversation yeah, yeah. like about other things and the interesting thing about it too is that it's it's so they posted the ad it didn't explain anything it just said dial a song and the number i don't even think it said they might be giant it didn't or maybe it did because they're like they're in that in that one the answering machine because they're like it, it's the they they must be giants what is in this? the answering machine they say it yeah. in the ad they do not yeah right yeah okay so uh but that was the way that they before they had an album mm-hmm, to get mm-hmm. their music out and so and the interesting about that live show too is it was just the two of them so they would often have a drum track yeah and have tapes loops yeah, yeah. that they had to play in a time where that was very analog yeah um I also think like seeing that it, it, that's the band I've seen live the most mm-hmm. uh when when my wife was in college they came to that place a lot so we saw them probably for times when she was in school and we've seen them a couple times but they have a different sound live yeah but it's really good like it's it's uh it does it it sounds different but in a way that still is the song but is very much they know how to translate their music to live yeah they know that these are two different forums and so they're not trying to replicate the album but they're also not trying to distance themselves from the song yeah and they're they do have some songs that are slow on the album and fast live or vice versa right yeah, and so it, sometimes they do give you a different version of the song, but it's no less good, and yeah, it makes yeah. the song better. They also, like, there are some songs they're, that they're really well known for, of course, and so they have reached a point where they kind of just, like, reluctantly play them live, yeah, yeah. but then they very clearly are doing other stuff to make sure that it still is fun for them, um, where they'll mix it up. There's this one song that they sing where, like, they'll interject in the middle with other songs. So the tour that I saw them on just now, um, the singer interjected it with a chandelier by Sia. <laughs> okay. It was Particle Man. It was Particle Man. Yeah, yeah. He, he like interjected during the bridge and just started singing chandelier and then went back into Particle Man. <laughs> and that like, they do that sort of stuff just yeah. because they want to keep making sure that it's fun for them. Do they do a lot of live albums if, if live shows are kind of like their thing? Or? They have one live album. You, you, your face tells I'm, me it's not so great. I mean. <laughs> oh, it's good. It's fine. Okay. I don't. I don't like it that much, but it's, like it's fine. it's not it's not one show. It's like live tracks. Yeah. So it's like listener supported in the sense that it it's a mix yeah. of just live songs that they've done. They have a couple where they would re- release a show yeah. that was live. Especially they'll do Flood live a lot. Yes. Mm-hmm. So they'll do a whole album live. 
and that is always really fun. And they've done Apollo 18, which is really cool for fingerprints, which fingertips, which is a, yes, it's really cool. A, live. Uh, it's a snippets of songs, like it's uh, eleven Just, different. It's like the bits. hook of a song. Yeah. So some of them are. Yeah. It's like ten to fifteen second long songs, but it's one long song, but it's eleven different bits of. It's more than that. Ideas. It's like twenty. I keep coming up with questions in my head. I'm going to lose them all. Oh no! So, so your dad was super into yeah. They Might Be Giants. Yeah. Did you ever like have the teenage rebellion, like they're stupid, and like run away from it, or it just kind of fell off your radar? You said like you fell away from yeah, it. Yeah, it was bit. it was more that fell off my radar. Like okay. I th- I think every time I like got a new computer and I had to like remake my music library or anything like that, I would always put flood on it. Like okay. it was always something that at least a couple of the songs I liked. But it wasn't something that I always necessarily intended to like seek out the rest of the band's music. Yeah, yeah. Um, mostly actually because of severe tire damage, the live album. I like once checked it out from the library, and it was at a period of time where I listened to it, and I was like, I don't like this. What is this? What's happening? And so I just didn't bother with the rest of their music because I wasn't into severe tire damage. Not knowing the names of these albums is incredible yeah. for this conversation. They do. Yeah. That's really interesting. <laughs> it's incredible. They have a second because uh, they have Almanac. I forget about all- yeah, so I- that's that's a live album too. I was thinking yeah. about that. I forgot about Severe Tire Damage. Yeah. Because it starts with Dr. Worm as a studio. Recording. Oh, that's them. Yes. Okay, because oh, I know, you know Dr. So Dr. Worm, Worm is track one okay. on Severe Tire Damage, which is live apart from that track. You forgot about Severe Tire Damage despite the fact that that has the version of They Got Lost that for some reason you think is better like than the. One. I do like that one. <laughs> I may say something that's like deeply offensive, but I know Dr. Worm because it's on the Reliant K cover yeah. album. Yeah. And I've been like, who does this song? Oh, it's a okay. great, that's a great it's, song. It's a good song. It's delightful. It has yeah. one of the weirdest key changes if you know music and you listen to it and you're like, how did they just do that? Yeah, right. What is happening? How'd they get there? It also has one of the best lyrics that says, I am a real worm. Uh, like it makes a point of saying, I'm, I'm not, not a, a real doctor, doctor but right. I am an actual worm. Yeah, right. Which is like, what is this? <laughs> what? That's They Might Be Giants so in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah that, right, that, that line. Yeah. So when the when the leaves change, I put on the Decemberists. That is where that band belongs. Okay. Listening to the Decemberists in the summertime is absurd. It's absurd. The beach, it's Jack Johnson, mm-hmm. right? So like there are situations in life that a band, I think, has a home. What is the situation in life that They Might Be Giants is best for? Not to say they're not like an all-year band. But yeah, like, so that's... I mean, I think that they can be an all-the-time band if you are only listening to certain s- kinds of stuff that they have. Because they have stuff that sounds so drastically different that, like, if you don't know that it's They Might Be Giants, you could put two songs next to each other and not necessarily know that it's the same band. Right, right. Um, easily. They're very because Yeah, partially because they've been going for so long and partially just because they try and do as many different sounding things as possible just for their own entertainment. Um, and so, like, as someone who just will create playlists. I literally will sometimes create playlists that I call vibe reports, which is a riff on a thing that John Flansburg does on their Facebook where he'll do like live Facebook videos and he just like promotes whatever they're doing at the time and he calls the vibe reports. So what I do is I make playlists that are vibe reports and I'm just like, it's just like the kind of stuff that I'm feeling at that point, they might be giants wise. Um, And sometimes it's slower, sometimes it's like weirder stuff, sometimes it's more upbeat like pop stuff. I think that there's like theoretically they might be giants for every situation. <laughs> wow. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing on top of that too is that it's not really like they play different genres. Mm-hmm. Like they don't do like here's our country song and here's our new wave song. Like every once in a while they do something a little bit like that, like uh, some crazy basketball. A little more genre like EDM. <laughs> and also like the most cohesive title that they have. 
Uh, but most of the like they have a variance in music, but it's not that they're jumping genres. It's just that they're they're above genre in so much what they're doing. Like yeah. they're making they're constantly making pop music. Yeah. But it's pop music that hits. It, it's so consistent in terms of their larger catalog. Like all of it fits. All of it makes sense. There's no songs that they did like what that's them. Like yeah. they're really like. And a like good if example, you listen to it, you're gonna hear they might yeah. be giants. And even when they do covers. They don't make sense on paper, Ooh. and then they make sense when they yeah. do it. Like, they did a cover of Bills, 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 Bills. Bills by Destiny's Child, which I referenced <laughs> in one of our very first episodes. Um, and it it didn't make when I the first time I heard it is when I heard it live yep. when they played in Pittsburgh at Mr. Small's uh, three years ago. And they said, they even the intro to it was like, really, I was like, they're going to play Bills, Bills. And as soon as they did it, it made 100% sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't sound, it sounded like their song. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still was very much identifiable as the song. It was exactly the song that you knew, but the way they sang it, it was like, of course. Yeah. Um, and Istanbul is a cover. Istanbul is a song by a band called the Four Lads, which is a band from the fifties, like a, a, a very like, like three, like four dudes who are like one of the 14. billion vocal quartets yeah. that was happening. Yeah, it was at the time. vocal yeah, quartets. Right. They probably started in college and kind of they probably all wore letter jackets, kind of stuff like that. Yeah. And to hear the original version is really funny, but it and it's still you're like, oh yeah, that's the song they're doing. And another one of their great covers is a song called uh, "The Why Does the Sunshine," mm-hmm. uh, which they got off of an educational record from the 1960s. I think uh, it's just talking about, and it's "The Sun Is a Massive Incandescent Gas," a gigantic nuclear furnace where hydrogen is built into helium at a temperature of millions of degrees. And they they did it a straight cover that was sounded like the the record, which was like very little kid stuff, and they do it live really fast. Yeah, and it's great. And they then wrote a response to it because it's not actually scientifically correct that it's a massive incandescent gas. So they wrote another Why does the called, sun really shine? Yeah, and it's called the and it, the lyric is the sun is a miasma, of incandescent <laughs> plasma. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Okay, so I want one, but I'll give you three. What are their best covers? Like, I, I think that Tyler just named them. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, because most of their stuff is original. Yeah, I don't, um, they don't have a whole lot more. Cats they there. they have tub thumping. Oh yeah, that fine. was. I like whirlpool. I would put whirlpool. Oh, thumping. I forget that whirlpool is a cover. Yeah, I would. I mean, I tub thumping like, like tub thumping. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. And um, they did that yeah. at the Onion Off. No, no, the AV Club. Yeah, the AV Club. So AV Club had a thing. I don't. I can't remember what it's called. But they have a series where they invite bands, and they have a list of covers preset. And yeah. so they invite bands in, and, you, and they have to pick on the moment, like which of the. <laughs> and when they pick it, then they cross it off. So there's some. Sometimes bands will come in and be like, "Oh, we wanted to do this, but it's gone." Yeah. yeah. And so they picked Tub Thumping, and it's actually really good, but it's like improvised on the on the spot. Oh, they wow. also literally say that they thought it was a different song. <laughs> um, when they picked it from the title, yeah, they thought yeah. it was different. Yeah. And like. Oh shoot! It's this one. Oh, okay. and, and like, they do it's make fine. that song really fun. It's fine. It's like they're clearly having a good time, but it's. P.S. That whole album, the actual Chumbawamba album, is so trippy, weird. They're a weird band. They're so weird. They're like <laughs> anarchists or something. Like yeah. they have a political agenda. They're an interesting band. That's a good Wikipedia thing. Yeah. Musically, they're not more interesting. That's their no, song. that's it. Yeah, that's, that's all you it. Know. It's just trippy. One other thing, just in terms of covers, that they used to do, I don't know if they might be nice this, but they used to do in their live show. At the radio the, thing? Yeah, it's like, I think they call it just spin the dial. Mm-hmm. I've only seen them do it once. They would literally just turn on the radio. And, whatever like, and, they would, and they would spin it. And when they found when it landed on a song, they would play that song. Yeah. And then they'd spin it again and play that song. So they that, don't do that anymore. I wish it was I could really, see that. Really I wish I could and see it that. And it was a great way of, again, kind of them staying connected mm-hmm. to. And the one time I saw it, they did, uh, 
I think they landed on Jessica, and they played that for a little bit, and the the Almond Brothers song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, and they played it for about thirty seconds. Like, then they're like, no, no, no. And then they landed on a Klezmer song. It was we were in DC, so it was like very weird stations, and they played this Klezmer song for a while and like nailed it. So they listened to it for like thirty seconds, and it really shows you how good the whole band is. Yeah, I was gonna say that takes so much talent to be able to just throw down a song. Like are they? Did they get the, the respect? Yeah. Do like are they? No. No. But yeah. the, the the last one they ended on the wait by the band the take a load off. Oh yeah yeah. And they and then they played that the full like they played that for like a full three minutes and it was great. Yeah. And it was one of those things where it's like I didn't think I liked that song until I heard until they were the Giants played it and it's like oh this is a great song I just wasn't crazy about the band version of it and they again they don't play it that different but they just played it in a way it's like oh I like it this way. Yeah. There's also in terms of improv stuff that they do um they have this song called spy which is from john henry the album i mentioned it's It's, it's a great song and what they do live is they there's like a bridge where it's even on the album it's just really weird what's happening everything Um, falls apart every yeah Yeah. like crumbles intentionally Uh and what they do live is this like really weird improvisatory thing that i actually wrote about in a paper for my ethnomusicology class last fall um because it was it's so weird to be in the audience of that and to be aware of who's like enjoying it versus who thinks it's weird in a funny way versus who's just uncomfortable yeah uh because it's like a whole spectrum of people um but i was just blown away by how like musically talented they were as they were doing it because they listened to each other so closely and they were responding to each other so well and they pull back into it like perfectly and it's yeah, they're so talented and people don't appreciate them enough. So you got back into them as you were going into grad school. So as I was in grad school, yeah. Is there any relationship between this weird, eclectic, very talented band and your desire to do musicology? Were they part of that influence, or that came late? That came earlier, and so I didn't think about this at the time. Um, but the first thing that I did that was kind of musicology was actually in an American music class when I took. I was a junior in high school. And we had to just pick a band and talk about like their musical influences and stuff. And I t- picked They Might Be Giants. And I talked about them in the context of like Elvis Costello was one I compared them to. And then now I'm going to write my dissertation on them. <laughs> so like, <laughs> Wow. So you're doing a whole doctoral yeah, dissertation yeah. on They Might Be Giants. Yeah. Wow. Tell Which me. Which will be a book. Like, yeah. An oh, 100%. Writing book. Yeah. That's the plan. Tell me a lot more about that. Tell me a lot more about that. Uh, so musicology, uh, I look at music in the context of like history and culture, but also look at the music itself, even though that's a gross phrase if you study music. Um, <laughs> and then also like for in the case of something like They Might Be Giants, absolutely look at like the fandom and the community that's around it. Yeah. So like yeah. all aspects of the music. Yeah. So tell me about this dissertation. dissertation. Where's this headed? Um, so uh, what I want to write about is I already kind of have the chapter set up in my mind um where i want to talk about the fandom and the community around it because it's weird yeah um it's like a wild niche thing um and so the fandom that has built around it is like fascinating um and then they have done a lot of music for television shows and movies so looking and then they've done a lot of music for commercials they did a lot of dunkin donuts commercials in like the first half of the 2010s um so yeah, you, you would recognize. You it. would. Like, I'm sure I would. And yeah. it's when it was like the time when Dunkin' Donuts actually started to push again to be like kind of a reasonable alternative to yes. Starbucks. Yes. And it was it was less. It was when the America runs on Dunkin' 
tag started. Yeah. yeah. So it's like Dunkin' Donuts was just a ubiquitous thing like Burger King where they didn't really, it was just there. Yeah. Um, and then America they started to actually have commercials again. And during that push, it was really They Might Be Giants. Yeah. How much would you say, I mean, is it sounds to me, it seems to me like, like the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse is a mm-hmm. dumb show I watch with my kids. And then I caught on the credits, oh, that's They Might Be Giants. Yeah. Like, it sounds like they're woven into the cultural fabric more than we would give them credit yes. for. The theme song to The Daily Show yes. is They Might Be Giants. See, stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. They didn't write it. It's written by Bob Mould, who is the guy. He's from Sugar and from Husker uh, Du. Who cares? How many, <laughs> but they, how many, they, when you do that, how many times are you just making up words? I'm never making it up. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. All right. I'm just asking. Uh, uh, so, but the, they are, so the John Stewart era. Of, right. So da, not the da, current da, one, da, da, but that, da, they are da, the da, band da, playing the theme song. Yeah. Really? They are not the band playing the theme song in the Trevor Noah yeah. era, but it's still the same theme song, but it's, it, it's, it's like a hip hop. It's called Dog on Fire, yeah. written by Bob Mould. Who, yeah. So yes, they are like deeply, wo- they did a song for the SpongeBob musical. Okay. Um, the uh, Squidward song, which is uh, very often people's favorite song. They only did one song. Yeah, because oh, no, SpongeBob was like very intentionally like different artists writing different, like a very collaborative process. Um, yeah, so they they're deeply ingrained. They did um Coraline. The Coraline. Yeah. They did uh the other father song in Coraline. If you know. Have you seen No. It's so great. When it your kids get amazing. a little older, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's one of the best kids' movies ever. It's based yeah. on a Neil Gaiman book, novella yeah. sort of length thing. He can do no wrong. Yeah. I, Neil agree. Gaiman. I agree. It's one of my favorite movies. No, it's great. Like, not just kids' movies. It's one of my it's, favorite It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The plot structure in it and, and the anime, it's so amazing. And there's really one song in it. Yeah. And it was a, they record, wrote and theoretically recorded an entire score for it as though it was going to be a musical and they changed it as in the editing process in the in the post production yeah because they just realized that tonally they might be giants was not what they wanted the whole movie or just to be. A, or just it to be a musical yeah because like, it's not a musical yeah but there's um, one song and it's great. and i was going to say something and i forgot no you're fine it's it was a good interjection. oh um so the second austin powers movie yeah yeah, yeah. opens with a dr evil song Yes. Uh, that's a parody of like old James Bond music, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also They Might Be Giants. Um, and John Flansburg's wife sings that song. Robin Goldswasser. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, whenever there's basically a, a female voice. Yeah, in it's they her. Might be Giants as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they're in everything. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested in like how, why they do that. Because they've also acknowledged that part of it is just they need to make money. Yeah, right. Because um, they're a more niche band, and so they do not make the same. They don't. They don't have the commercial success that they theoretically need to have in order to survive, just based on that. So they're they do other stuff when people ask them, but then they also like have fun doing it. Like they enjoy it. Yeah. They wouldn't keep doing it if they didn't like it. Man. Um, they don't need to be a band anymore. Yeah, exactly. They they have they're not struggling to survive, but to continue to be a band, they need to find ways to Support fund it. their touring. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and so that's part of what I want to look at too is like the commercialism stuff um, but then also like the impact that it has because they also in addition to doing the Malcolm in the Middle middle theme song they like did the score for the first two seasons Okay. Uh, and it's fascinating in like the context of sitcom history so I want to look at that uh, because sitcoms with like actual underscoring is very uncommon which by the way this is a slight divergent but uh, google this Look into the the, uh, the theories that uh, um, Breaking Bad and and Malcolm in the Middle are connected. That really? Walter White is like uh, that. It was. I think it's either that one. Which one came first? I can't remember. Oh, because he's the he's in both. Yeah, Brian yeah. yeah. The dad yeah. in Malcolm in the Middle is Brian Cranston, yeah. who's Walter White and and uh, uh, Breaking Bad. So 
you can do the work on your own for that, but it's a it's a really enjoyable time on the internet. I this highly is, recommend it. This is like they might be giants and pop culture, and pop culture. conspiracy yeah. theories. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so I also one of the things that I am interested in is just film and television music in general. So yeah, it's a yeah. way for me to also talk about that. Um, and Who's then better, I, John Williams or Danny Elfman? Danny Elfman. Yeah, you're Danny right. Elfman's my favorite film composer. He's, he's very good. So tell me about who gathers at a at a They Might Be Giants concert because they seem super niche. Yeah. What kind of crowd am I looking at if I walk into the room? So I notice two different kinds of people. A lot of this guy. I was gonna say. A lot of this girl. I was gonna no. That's <laughs> that's basically what it is. Yeah. No, I, I was like a lot of people who look like you, both of you, honestly, yeah. like a lot of people who are uh, my age and queer hmm. and nerdy. Yeah. Okay. What's the what's the queer connection? Uh. I I think that it comes down to the fact that uh, people, like, they might be giants because they want, like, a community, like, that they feel comfortable in. Mm. And they might be giants as more of a niche thing m- creates a space where people who don't feel comfortable in other places might feel comfortable. Yeah. Um, so there's nothing, like, in the music that's, like, overtly... They're actually... So I forget what song it is. One of the songs on No... Which, which is, is their an first album, kids album. Which is a kid's album. Yeah. I think it's on No. They have a song that like explicitly states that a kid has two moms. Okay. Um, when did that come out? 2002? Okay. Yeah, Maybe? something like that. I mean, that's a shot in the dark, but I, I just thinking of life. It's something like that, I yeah. It, I think it came out, yeah, while that's I was in college. super wrong, like, right at the end if of anything. Yeah. yeah, no, that's pretty close. Um, so... Gigantic is so. There's a documentary which you can see in entirety on YouTube, and so there's a documentary about the band. It's which not is, on YouTube anymore. Oh, oh, well, you can find it Bummer. maybe somewhere. It's kind of hard to find. It's kind of hard to find. Yeah, it's yeah. called Gigantic: A Tale of Two Johns, and it's great. It's even if you don't like the band, it's just a really good documentary, really fun. And also, you can uh, see one Tyler Dompsey I'm in, it. in it. Yeah, I'm in it. I mean, like just on screen. <laughs> oh, so this just is like a shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Adrian okay. and I are in it. Age probably 21, and it, they use us to talk about how all their fans are 13. So they're like, <laughs> I think Danny's talking about how like they're all their fans are professional. Veering younger. Yeah. yeah. And then they show us yeah. <laughs> at the front at the record theater in Baltimore, in Towson, Maryland. Um, but, but no, so I, I think that partially also because the band is so like structured around the fandom and the community that likes the band, it creates a space where like, and they've always been this way in terms of like, even in the eighties, even in the nineties, They've been a band that like nerds can congregate around, or people mm-hmm. who exist on the edges can congregate around. So it's not like overtly welcoming. It's not they have some welcoming, affirming stuff. And they're they're also incredibly vocal about being liberal. Okay, okay. So like, but but not in a way that their not, music really feels like. Like they're not. Yeah. There's not political songs overtly. Right. I mean, there are. They have some. Yeah, but, but yeah, but ones that you could miss that they're political. Yes. Uh, and they're just they are non they are a non abrasive band. Yeah. yeah. And their music is so enjoyable that like there's a lot of nerdy niche things that are act like inaccessible. Yeah. And yeah. so that's they're safely inaccessible. To say your favorite Radiohead album is Amnesiac is a safe thing mm-hmm. because it's not accessible. Right. Um, no one's that's never gonna be a super popular album. Um, they might be giants has had waves of being in the zeitgeist. Yeah that is frustrating for a, a fan. Like when Malcolm in the Middle came out, I remember being very frustrated. Like <laughs> everybody likes that. That's their worst song. <laughs> and, uh, and they've had a couple, but they've never been so popular that they've been identified by that one wave yeah. of popularity. Yeah. Um, and you can always, it's a comfortable place to li- Like their music is comfortable. 
yeah. in, a, in, in the most non-offensive way that that word can be used. Like, that's right. not a detriment. It right. is, it's good music yeah. that is pleasing to anyone's ear. Okay, I'm going to land the plane because I've been – now, I want to be very, very clear that I knew nothing about They Might Be Giants coming into this conversation, but I caught a thread. Here's the things I've heard. They Might Be Giants is ubiquitous in pop culture in ways that we may not be aware of, mm-hmm. right? Like that they're just kind of always there under the, under the background. Uh, they're welcoming and including without being grotesquely, I don't know, blatant about it. Yeah. Uh, there's some political, there's some not political. And what I'm really hearing, what was the name of the one album? It's okay to have fun. I, I like, like fun. fun. I like fun. Like th- this is just a rousingly fun band yeah. to be around. And one thing I would say is that one one thing that's appealing about them is that they're not hungry. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it, they're not desperate. Yes. They never feel like they need to. They're fine with where they are. And and even uh, there is uh, no Weezer syndrome in no, this no, band. No, 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 no. Yeah. Not at all. And that's what even when when Rachel was pointing out that they did point out they need to make money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but they never Don't do we it all. desperately. Right. Like they even their their. Even their commercial music is still really good. Mm-hmm. Like they, it always is consistent with it. They never sell out. Yeah. And they they are not trying to make their sell their music marketable. Yeah. They want their music to be pop songs that are good, but they're never. They don't explain the meanings of their songs. They they hate being asked the yeah. meanings of their songs. And yet they're not weird guys. Yeah. Like they to talk to them, they're just incredibly normal people. Yeah. Uh, almost uh, almost uh like and they dress normal like super like they dress like guys who are in their 50s like they're they're just normal guys i love that tyler got up as though he needed to avoid going to the microphone and then (laughs) (laughs) he's literally on the other side of the room exactly the opposite of what i didn't want to do (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) so all that is to say is to say i'm gonna take your line too if you're gonna go stand over there yeah right uh given kind of where we ended, I think where we ended at the last episode, yeah. things will get edited around, but we had a discussion about church yeah, and about how, you know, you're still a follower of Christ and the church is like following behind that belief system. Mm-hmm. What in your mind would church look like if church was more like they might be giants? I mean, that's exactly what I would love. Or, or put another way is they might be giants, the church the that ch- we've all been looking the church for. That we've <laughs> like seriously. Like pronoun, by the way, good verbiage. Yeah. It's not, are they might be giants? Yeah. Because they might be giants is singular. Yeah. Right. Is, is they, they might be giants. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank I you. I continue the rest of my part from back here. <laughs> so as not to say too much. With the headphones on, this sounds incredible. You got it. <laughs> we have a cheering section back there. Um, is, I need to physically separate myself <laughs> from talking too much in this podcast. I'm failing so bad. <laughs> You're doing fine, buddy. Sorry. You're doing fine, buddy. <laughs> He's taking a He's nap like put now. himself in a timeout. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, I really want to say this because I don't want to forget to do this. Uh, last episode was sponsored by the worst coffee I've ever tasted. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, the, 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 the Danish pastry. It, it was, was so bad. bad. And I drank the whole thing. Yeah. Because I needed it. And this today's sponsor today is sponsored by the delicious coffee that that lady made for oh, me. It, that's it's so good. Whatever it's, that. Did yeah. you catch the name of that nope, place? Not at no, all. It's really good. It's called Coffee from Jesus. Thanks. <laughs> So in what ways would you like to see the church be more like they might be giants? I mean, part of it is like the thing that I said in the last episode about how I think one of the things that's made me uncomfortable is that I'm so used to being in like queer spaces and yeah. spaces that are more welcoming to people on the fringes and that they like gravitate to themselves. Like, I think it says something that those sorts of people do not gravitate to the church. Yeah, right. 
Um, Th- that was the most interesting thread I pulled on in that, that, that that's a space where queer people feel queer people. Am I doing my language right? That's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's complicated. Yeah, no, that's, I know. Right. Um, that they, they feel comfortable there. <laughs> I want to ask it. Sorry. Um, yeah. And, and we can, this can be edited out or wherever. Yeah. Where do you fit? Do you fit in the queer space as an it's ally? A complicated question. Okay. okay. Um, I don't mind talking about it. Yeah. Um, so I. Just because I think people would be curious. Yeah. yeah. I am now curious. I'm a listener over there and I'm curious. <laughs> I, I, I don't mind talking about yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so I consider myself on like the ace and aero spectrums. What's so for people at home and Educate for you, I guess. Yeah. Um, so asexual and aromantic, which basically is just like not interested at all uh, in it at all. Uh, and I'm not Which all is an the important way. place on the spectrum. We often yeah. leave yes. that off of the spectrum. Yes. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that you have no sexuality. Right. Your sexuality is, is that a lack of interest. Interest in, in sexuality. In physicality. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I'm not all the way on the end of the spectrum. Like I have like some experience with like attraction and stuff, but it's, and when it happens, it is heterosexual. Um, but I'm pretty far uninterested in anything like that. Which oftentimes had been, in the past, at least in my experience, had been characterized as repressed sexuality. Yes. Yeah, right. And that Absolutely. is not, there is repressed sexuality. Right. Asexuality is not that. It's different. Yeah. And we don't make space for that a lot of times. Yeah. Especially in the church. And, and I mean, that's one of the things yeah. that made me feel uncomfortable in the church, even before I could articulate to myself yeah. that that was what I was experiencing. And so people on both ends of the, of the political spectrum just assume you're repressed. Yes. And so you're either a threat or someone who needs to be. Fixed. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 So that's where I'm at. Um, Thank you. <laughs> Do we have any more questions from the audience? No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to you. you can come sit here. It's I not like, like you're I not like in time right. out. I, there's so much good stuff going on. I don't want to interfere with it. And it's really hard for me not to. I'm sorry. I need to just own my own problems. And I wish this was a video <laughs> podcast. Yeah. I need to take another picture. Yeah, go ahead. I'm... Go ahead. Get in on that. I think I said in the last episode, I was in a church in D.C., that did it well yeah. uh, to be a welcoming and including place. But even there, I felt a little kitschy for yeah. lack of a better word. Like they had the band, the, the rainbow flag. And like, it was very obvious, like this is what we're trying to do. And again, I'm an outsider to they might be mm-hmm. giants, but mm-hmm. it sounds like that community just kind of organically happened. I was going to say, I think what it comes down to is like people on the fringes need to be the ones to create the space in order for it to be the space where mm. they actually feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, <laughs> Tyler comes back again. <laughs> you can just sit. This here. is the funny thing about me being away is that it becomes very apparent when I. Um, uh, one of the things that is so delightful about the Amber Giants, I think, is that they—they're just delightful. Well, They're and they, just they um, to your point, they are so organic on a level that is just not apparent in anyone's life, like in our own personal lives, in culture. Like you yeah. can always see the 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 push that someone's trying to get to this, they want you to see them as this, or they, even if it's natural. The the disarming thing, the charmingly disarming thing about the Amami Giants is they, it feels like they don't care. Hmm. Uh, I mean, they desperately, they're having fun, and they really enjoy what they're doing. They want you to enjoy it, but they don't really care if you like it or not. And yeah. not in a cool, not in a like punk rock kind of like, eh, but right. like they, re- they want you to like it, but they're not going to dumb it down or do it differently. Right. And they... They and, and I mean and even the documentary explains that in a kind of way that's that helps you to get it. That uh, Ira Glass, who's the um, the host of Them or uh, This American Life, yeah, um, really kind of talks tells the story about how they have a song called Meet James Ansor, mm-hmm. which is James Ansor was a uh, Belgian 
painter. Yeah, yeah, and and they and it's a great little song. Yeah. That and it's just and they just talk about James Ensor, who was Belgium's famous painter, and it's like a minute and a half long. And he asked them one time, he's like, "What's that song about?" And they're like, "Oh, he's a really good painter." And that's their explanation of the song, and it really like and right. sometimes they're writing songs that are double meanings and mm-hmm. triple meanings mm-hmm. and really trying to get you some. And sometimes they just write a song that's about an interesting guy. They have a song called James K. Polk, and I, I mean, that one could be about deeper stuff, but it also could just be about James K. Polk, this interesting president that we don't ever talk about, who's a kind of terrible guy. Yeah. And they don't romanticize him, but they just tell his story. They don't. Politi- they're not like so. Don't be James K. Polk. They're just right. like. Let's tell you about this one president who had one idea and he came in and he did it and then he left. And it's a really fun live song that they do. Yeah. Um, but that's one of the, so in terms of this question, and this is where I think the church even struggles. The church is so desperate. We, we need mm-hmm. to yeah. be important. And this is a band that is important without needing to be important. Yes. And that's one of the most appealing things from a fandom standpoint is that they're not desperate. They want you to like them. They want to. They're not like they're not. They're not mean to their fans. They're great to their fans, mm-hmm. but they're not desperate in any way. Right. And the church is so desperate on so many levels, yeah. uh, as humans are. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the best interactions that I had because I've met them a couple of times just after like hanging out because they always come out. And I had gotten a playlist after one of their things, and uh, Flans, John Flansberg, uh, took the play. I gave it to him to sign, and he graded. The performance. It's great. I have Do to you still have it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Please, please. I need to find to it where it is. We have it in a folder somewhere. I need oh, to frame man. it. I would want to frame it. And it's great. And he gave a, an honest assessment, yeah. which I disagreed with. But looking back, I was like, oh, I could see that. Like, he gave a song an F that I thought was great. Uh, he gave songs A's that deserved B's, but it wasn't just straight A's and it wasn't straight F's. Yeah. Like, it was yeah. an honest, like, this was good, this was not, this was not. Um, and it was really fun to kind of, like, he wasn't doing that for me. He wasn't doing that to try to impress me or put her well. Like it, he was just like, this is how I felt about the thing. And it was very honest to it, the performance. Is a fair word in all of this authentic? Yes. yes. The, 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 100%. Yes. yes. Like the, it just sounds like they're just going to be who they are. Yeah. And if it's good and, for you, great. And, and if it's not that, good for you. And part of that is like in, the, in their lack of explanation of their lyrics, it's not because they're trying to be elusive or mysterious. It's just because they know that I could explain this to you and you're not going to get it. And that's okay with me. Mm-hmm. I don't need you to get it. Yeah. I just, but I want, you can like the song, but you don't have to, you don't have to understand it yeah. to know, because you're not going to. I just read it because this is what I wanted to write. Yeah. And it's like, it's like an artist that just doesn't explain, like Jackson Pollock doesn't have to explain what all those splotches are. It's just like, that's just what it is. If you yeah. don't like it, that's okay. But that's why I did it. Man. So is it possible, this is a crossover question, is it possible for someone like me who is hetero, cis, white man, and very aware of all those things if creating safe space in the church for lgbtq folk needs to be organic right. from their perspective right what is my role or people like me what is my role to play in that um do i have a role to play in that yes i think so yeah. uh it's uh listening to those people about what they want out of a space because like i i do think that like theoretically if those people had enough of a say about what they wanted. They don't have to be the ones like steering the plane. Right. right? They don't have to plan like, the church. Right. right. Exactly. Um, but like being very conscious of like what it is that they want out of it. Kind of in the same way that like you wouldn't arrange a baseball team for your church if no one was asking for it. Um, See, I come from a really big. I would right. I come from a very big. Right. 
but suburban like, church, and so that's I'm, exactly what they I'm do. I'm saying, like, ideally, I think that both of those things are true, that you right. wouldn't do either of those things without making sure that there is, like, a need and a want for those things. Mm-hmm. And so... Which is, to the point, though, ironically, that's exactly the opposite in both cases. Yes. The church m- puts a softball team to get people in, and they become inclusive to get people in. Like, let me tell you how inclusive right. we are right. for you. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, the there are people online who will post, like, articles about, like, we think that white people should be doing this for black people. Like, as a black person, this is what this black person thinks white people should be doing as allies to black people. Right. Same thing for queer people. Same thing for people with disabilities. Seeking out those perspectives like from people in your community would be the most valuable way to do that. Yeah. Then when you're thinking about like how to create a space for them that they want out of a church. Yeah. yeah. And I think part of, in, in that, you know, and I, I, I don't know how many podcasts in this world are going to compare. They might be giants to a church. Um, this might be <laughs> too it. Many. Too, many. too many. I know we're covering I feel like well-trod in, paths in the, they might be giants podcast that I was on. We like jokingly referred to it as a church at some point, or he has, I feel like, so they might be giants podcast might refer to them as the church. Well, you know, okay. So everybody's doing it, I guess, but, <laughs> but like, I get the impression like too, you're talking the venues you were mentioned, Mr. Smalls, things like that. It's not like they might right. be giants is selling out stadiums. Right. And it seems like they're totally okay with that. Yeah. They right. never, they're a, they're a, uh, a theater band. Yeah. Right. And they've got, you know, I've got to make money, so they do Dunkin' Donuts commercials and stuff like that. If that was the attitude the church took, mm-hmm. I can't fathom how different things would be. If you weren't trying to sell out the mega church, wh- who's the dude that bought the NBA arena? First Joel Osteen. Ch- yeah. Yeah. The, 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 like, if that's the model of church, then of course you're going to compromise right. and not make space for people. I, I mean, I've been thinking about that a lot this week in terms of like colonialism in the church. Oh, go ahead. Um, which I was very excited when you talked about it last time you talked about it, um, where I object to the idea of... Con- Episode like- 11. <laughs> uh, ice cream and Kaminar part two. I, I object to the idea of uh, conversion as like the ultimate goal when you go out to do mission. Yeah. Huh. I object to that idea a lot, um, and I feel like the way that the church thinks about conversion, even in like their own spaces, in their own like towns or cities, they still kind of have that attitude of like we want to bring people in to make them believe in God yeah. or uh, to like bring them back to God if they've been away from God. When actually we should just be like trying to make them comfortable and realize that god is what makes them comfortable and then maybe eventually they'll get there or maybe they won't but they'll be happier and more comfortable well and there's there's a degree i don't want to be too cynical about it but i'm gonna be i'll be I'll, um, you can, you can hold back, I'll be cynical. there's a degree to which the let's go convert people smacks to me of let's fill the stadium yeah right they th- there's a segment of christianity that i get the impression i'm not going to paint everybody with this brush but there's a lot of them who want to convert people to Christ because they want more people sitting in their pews on Sunday yes. and they want more people sitting in their pews on Sunday because they want more offering in the plate to feel more relevant. Right. Right. And that's not everybody. And I, I'm not. You well, know. to take it more, uh, maybe less, less cynical, but still the same point. It's a metric. Yeah. That you can, you can count. You can count. And we want to, to assess what we're doing and to do it well. And when you, and the way in which we assess progress in our culture is through Numbers. measurable metrics. Yeah. yeah. And so you can measure butts in the seats, you can measure dollars in the plates. And so if you can put more butts in more seats, then it feels successful. Right. If you there's did less it. butts in the seats, then it feels not successful. 
and the, uh, also with dollars too. And so if you are chasing those numbers, and the, I mean, from a denominational standpoint, the Pittsburgh or the, the Presbyterian Church, that's all they ask for are numbers of people who attend yeah. and numbers of dollars in the place. And it's not because they're trying to push that, but because that's what you can measure across the table yeah. in a way that is totally subjective, but we treat it like it's objective. And that's what's really hard. And so you get a church that feels unsuccessful because they have 100 members um, and they are below budget on this time. And a church that feels incredibly successful because they have 1,000 members and they exceed their budget all the time. Neither of those are, are assessments of relationship and right. community, which mm-hmm. is what the church really is. And the interesting thing, I mean, to, to compare it to Weezer, I think Weezer <laughs> is the church as we should compare all things. Yes. Weezer Everything is should come back to Weezer. a band that is, and this is this is the payoff for people who suffered through the Weezer episode. <laughs> I think this was a lot more accessible than this one, ironically. Um, Weezer is the church right now. It's a band that's, con- it, Weezer's goal is to be the biggest rock band in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Still. That is the last thing that They Might Be Giants even cares about. Yeah. They have no interest in being the biggest rock band in the world. They don't care about it. I don't think it. they would like to be they the biggest band. They, they would not enjoy right. it. They but wouldn't they, enjoy it. But it doesn't mean that they don't want people to hear their music. Right. They want lots of people to hear their music. They just they, they, they still play theaters because they have no interest in playing anything right. bigger than that. They could, and even when they sell out, they're not selling out. So even when they do jobs for commercial reasons, they don't compromise their music. And their music is still, like, melodically good enough that they can do a Dunkin' Donuts commercial and that song sounds like a They Might Be Giants song that they could play at one of their concerts and no one would be angry and <laughs> it can still sell coffee in yeah. a way that they don't have to compromise who they are. So so the two words that are that are that are hidden for me and I love this is authenticity and contentment. Mm-hmm. Like if you really have Jesus and can be authentic about that and content with that, I think you're on to something. I smiled a bit in there because I was going to ask the question this way. Almost Dr. Jones. Almost Dr. The mm-hmm. fact that you can get the Indiana Jones reference for the rest of your life, whatever you're paying for, for school <laughs> is worth it for that. Just for that. Yeah. I'm not paying anything for I never, They pay that, me. That is so, oh, that's man. Good that gig. Is, yeah, yeah, I did. Good that's work. That's the most They Might Be Giants thing you've done. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Jones. Sorry. So if conversion isn't it and if, if putting butts in pews isn't it and if dollars in the plate isn't it, what is church for you to, to – round this whole conversation out right i mean church for me is a space where i can think about faith um and it's a space where i like feel comfortable asking questions Mm. that maybe i don't feel comfortable asking in other contexts where i can hopefully feel comfortable talking to other people about those same questions that i'm thinking about and hear their perspectives on them and ideally if the pastor or the person in front is good then they will be provoking me to think about them in different ways like i forget what it was that one word that tyler you had in your uh sermon about um the good samaritan Ooh. Hi, Cro- cross podcasting here. yeah yeah uh. you know <laughs> <laughs> still the by the by the, the best it was the way cover. that the story is structured how it's like in an x yeah oh chiasm yes yeah that i was thinking about for like two days yeah which, and is, that, which like, is an academic literary criticism word from a seminary standpoint. Like it comes from the chi, which is a, the X in the in the uh, Greek alphabet. Yeah. So it it's, talks about a structure in which all, all ancient Hebrew writing and Middle Eastern writing, uh, it, where the climax comes in the middle. Right. Yep. Uh, versus the normal Western paradigm where the climax comes at the end. Spoiler alert, uh, the Genesis story, uh, the creation <laughs> story, uh, the book of Job, and Revelation, just off the top of, of, of Lineal Noodle. 
in every story that Jesus tells. Yeah, also true. So I like what part of what I want out of a person who's standing in front of me theoretically is that they can give me that sort of information that I don't know, but that it then is in an accessible way that I can change or like think more about the things that I've been thinking about in a different way. Yeah, I guess. Uh, whether I come away with that having like more of a love for Jesus or less of a love for Jesus, I don't think is quite as important as whether I have a more like a stronger interpretation of Jesus in my mm. relationship with him. Mm. Yeah. So what you're saying is find somebody that knows <laughs> more about something than you do who loves it and let them talk about it for an hour or so. That is exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Not a bad and, place and to end. And, and I mean, and to put it, uh, to reframe what you just said, in a way that I can understand. <laughs> so I'm trying to own all my neuroses. Uh, but the, I, I think uh, this, to me at least, is one of the They Might Be Giants things, one of their greatest attributes is that they, they love doing something. They can inform you about something, but they're not desperate to be the ones who teach you. Yeah. yeah. And one of the best things, sorry, I was going to burp, but covering my mouth makes it not easy. <laughs> um, uh, one of the, for me, some of the best lessons I've learned are from people who have shared knowledge in a way that wasn't about me, about blowing my mind, yeah. about trying to impress me with their knowledge yeah. or, or give me like, you must know this. Here are the, uh, the, the tenets that must be understood by everyone so that you can belong. And when it's just, Hey, I have some information that really was exciting to me. And so I'm going to share that to you. And I think that that's one of the best things about They Might Be Giants is I think that they would, one of the things, again, in the documentary that someone says, I think it's Ira Glass again, is, is it's, it's a shame that they have to be in the band hmm. because I think they would really love this band. Yeah. If they <laughs> yeah. did. Yeah. And they would be big fans of it. They might be, John and John would be big fans of They Might Be Giants, but that's the only band that exists, so they had to make that. Yeah. And I think that that's the best kind of church is a church that would love that, that they aren't making this thing to change the world. They just, it's a, it's a thing that if they didn't, if this church didn't exist, um, or if, uh, if you weren't the leaders of this church, if they weren't leaders of this church, they would love to go to this church. Yeah, right. right. And I, ooh, as a pastor, that's a really important thing, mm -hmm. yeah. that you are paid to be an employee of this church. I've been uh, privy to pastors who would not go to the church that they are employed yeah. by. Sure. And there are times in my life that I think that that was true uh, at certain churches, and I am not at those churches anymore. Um, <laughs> currently, I really, I mean, confidently, and not just because people I, uh, who go to my church would hear this, I would go to my church. Yeah. And that is not always the case. And as a pastor, that's a really, you you more often than not do not have that that freedom. Yeah. And do not have, like, you aren't feeling that. Like, you, you're obligated to be at this church, but I would go to this, to my church, if I wasn't a professional Christian who was paid to go to that church. Uh, and that's a delightful thing to be and and to have this band that would listen to this band, even if they weren't, uh, they're not trying to blow your mind. Yeah. And as a community, I think that's the best thing is that everybody in the community chooses to be there yeah. instead of feeling obligated to be there. And you do that by authenticity, by organic like connections and things like that. Yeah. Hey, Rachel. That's not the final word. Let's no, no, no. Yeah. Ready? Hey, Rachel. Hey, hey, Jay. You are a noted Twitter user. <laughs> so I am seeding the Twitter question to you. Oh, What's the Twitter question to follow this episode? By the way, if you're not following Rachel Jones, Rachel you, underscore Jones. You're doing it Rachel. wrong. Uh, no, my, my... Oh, yeah, Mrs. Bluebird. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's Mrs. Underscore Bluebeard. Oh, yeah. uh, it's so great. Which I have a lot of opinions on that. They might be giant songs. I don't think we have time to talk about. Um, <laughs> Can you do two minutes on that? It's very complicated. Because um, it's interesting. It's so. I the first first time I listened to it, I thought that it was. John, That's a latter day song. That's it's like on their, it's from I Like Fun. Yeah. Okay. Their most recent album. And the first time I listened to it, I thought that it was. Uh, well, <laughs> that's complicated too. Um, I I thought that it was John Linnell singing from the perspective of one of the dead wives of Bluebeard. Okay. Um, which is very weird and like yeah. very they might be giants. Um, and then the music video came out, and it was portrayed as though a woman was Bluebeard, and she had killed all of her husbands instead. Mm. And I don't know which one I like more. Yeah, yeah. Because when I first listened to it, I related to it just in the context of just like. Is Bluebeard a real character outside of the Vonnegut? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know. That. Uh, yeah, I only like, know Bluebeard for the Vonnegut. Oh, so yeah. he's like a long-standing myth um, about like this guy who keeps marrying women and killing them. There's an opera oh, about him. I only know um, the Vonnegut book. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's he's a long-standing character. Um, and when I was listening to the song before I ever saw the video and like the reason why I changed my Twitter handle to that is that it really resonated to, with like the tired feminist in me um, as opposed to the part that I'm like the tired feminist um, because there's this line there's um, it's pardon me for failing to ask how this works excuse my breathtaking ignorance complete sarcasm like the whole point is I'm not ignorant about this this makes no sense that you killed me but I'm like pretending that there is some reason for it when there's not like you're just a misogynist who kills women um that is a solid twitter handle for what you're working on yeah Yeah, so so like it really resonated with me as of like sometimes I just want to stop because there's so much yeah right that it's exhausting the numbness yeah exactly yeah and so like that really resonated with me a lot and then I watched the video and I'm like okay but it's kind of cool to see like this woman like doing it to all these men who are also awful but at the same time is that something that I can picture a woman even doing when it is such an inherently misogynistic behavior to just like keep marrying spouses and like killing them just because they do something that you don't I have very complicated feelings about that song wow (laughs) So what's your Twitter question? Yeah. Yeah, I... Mm. So follow Mrs. Bluebeard. Yeah, definitely do that. This is underscore Bluebeard. Yes. So great. You should have told me that you were going to ask me to come up with a Twitter question. I've given you have. as much heads up as, as I ever As you ever have. have. Yeah. Yeah, but that's not how I work. <laughs> so I can't quite figure out how I want to articulate the Twitter question, mm. but I know I want it to be about authenticity, which I also think is a really problematic term. Potentially, um, sometimes, especially in the context of like rock music, which is sort of what they might be giants is. A lot of people are really invested in authenticity in a way that I think is troubling. Yeah. Um, where they inauthentic. Com- yeah, yeah. They come. They become fixated with what makes something authentic or inauthentic, and they completely reject whatever fits into the inauthentic category. Right. Which leads into, for example, a like total uh, misogynistic sort of rejection of like all pop music today because it's seen as inauthentic compared to the rock ideal of like angsty white man playing a guitar and singing about his feelings. Who other than They Might Be Giants is the most authentic 
artist out there today? Who might, who might be? Who might be giants? That's the question. That. That's who a... might be giants? I'm down with that. Yeah. yeah. Tweet us at Rough the Pastor. Uh, please Instagram your graded set lists <laughs> to Roughing the Pastor on Instagram. Specifically to me, but you have them. Also do that. <laughs> you, you don't know. You might not be the only one. That's true. Um, check on Spotify. By this point, I probably will have a good primer. Oh, I have uh, a primer already. Oh, yeah. Oh, Rachel has a primer. I'll, so, I'll send you a primer. Yeah, so, so we'll you can do the, the primer. There'll be a couple primers on Spotify. I have my current top 25 uh, They Might Be Giant songs. It is a playlist that is 70 songs long. Uh, you can also listen to my top, top yeah, 25. I'm not sure like. that mine can get smaller. It's, yeah, Rachel's is a proper Mine is 25. actually 25. <laughs> yeah, mine is 70 songs long, but it's the top 25 They Might Be Giant songs, according to me. Uh, <laughs> according to the book of Tyler. Yep. Rachel's is really good. And there's so many songs in there that I hadn't thought about. Because I, uh, uh, I stopped listening to the albums in full mm-hmm. after they became digital. And yeah. so their last like, six albums, I only know on Shuffle. Yeah. And so I know those songs. That, and I know title things because mm-hmm. it's a Shuffle listening. Yeah. Uh, I also have a different version on Apple Music with the stuff that's not on Spotify, if you yeah. want to see that. Hey, uh-huh. Well, I'm Jay. Rachel. I did. <laughs> and this, uh, this has been <laughs> Rubbing, Rubbing the, the Pastor. You did it. That was really good. I got an answer. What is the first author where you read one of their books and then you needed to read all the rest? <laughs> oh, man. I can give you my answer if you need to think. Go ahead, because okay. I've got a I couple. was 15 years old on a mission trip, and I read what is arguably the worst of this author's books, <laughs> but it got me in. I read the book Slapstick by Kurt Vonnegut. Mm. I'd never read a Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, it's a super weird one. I don't know why I did that. I don't I, like it just happened. It's a not great book. Uh, but I loved it. And I also that's I think the perfect time to get into Kurt Vonnegut is when you're a 15-year-old boy. Um, so if you have the chance to be a 15-year-old boy, start reading Kurt Vonnegut right now. You'll love it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I say, I think that Kurt Vonnegut is great for all ages, but that's especially to have your mind blown. So I read that and then I went from that to Sirens of Titan, which is my favorite of the Gary Vonnegut books. And then I went to Player Piano, which is his first one, and then to Slaughterhouse-Five, and then to Mother Night, and then to Breakfast of Champions. And so worked my way through all the Vonnegut's. Actually, through many of the Vonnegut's. I still, there's a bunch I haven't read. Yeah. Uh, but I've read half of them. And it was, that was my, I read this book, now I must read everything that I can by Kurt Vonnegut. And still probably, when push comes to shove, I would say is my favorite author. I hate this answer because my guy went hard commercial, hard fast. That's okay. Uh, but Donald Miller. Anything Donald Miller writes. I really thought you were going to say Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I heard the Donald. I was like, what? Have you guys heard of this book called The Art of the Deal? Oh, come uh, on. It's yeah. page turner. <laughs> it's every every page. Uh, I've actually wanted to read that book to see if I could somehow figure that man it. out. Written, I know. The author of it came out. There's a really interesting article about the author of that book. Yeah. Like the ghost author of that book saying, like, I wrote this whole book. 
and he had he, nothing he to do with it. And, and he was hard to work with. He didn't. Yeah, You're was, kidding. Yeah, who'd have thought? The real Donald Trump on Twitter. Yeah. No, Donald Miller. I, I didn't start with Blue Like Jazz either. I started with uh, Searching for God Knows What. Yeah. And as soon as I started reading that, I was like, oh, gosh, this guy writes like I think. Mm. And I want everything he does. And But then he went super hard into, like, branding and marketing. His first there probably four books are really good. Oh, my gosh. Through Painted Desert. So Through his Painted Desert is thing. great. Blue Like Jazz is great for as much as that became kind of the poster child of Christian memoirs. Yeah. It's it's still really great. Uh, a Million Miles. Oh, uh, so is, good. Is, what's That's the full title of that. A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. Yeah, that one's really good. That's probably the last great yeah, one he did. Yeah, I think so. Because after that, he became a marketing guru. I agree. Um, and, but uh, Father Fiction. To yeah. Tame a Dragon. Also good. That's, ooh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, I highly recommend. I mean, again, they're all from a male perspective because it's a single guy trying to work out stuff. But they're really good, I think, for everybody. Yeah. Single white that's guy. That's true. Yeah. That's a story that never gets told in our culture. The single <laughs> the white unspoken, guy. The unspoken, the unsung voice of the, the single white man. Just white male be, Christian. Just to be very clear, this is sarcasm, <laughs> everybody. I believed it. It felt so sincere. <laughs> We're selling it. Yeah. Twitter. Oh, no. What, who Who is your author? I, I mean, as though it's not obvious from the fact that uh, his signature is tattooed on my arm, uh, Kurt Vonnegut as well. I need to read Kurt Vonnegut. What was your first Kurt Vonnegut? My first Kurt Vonnegut was Cat's Cradle. Uh, which I've never finished. Oh. And it's like 110 pages. It's short. It's really short. It's short. Yeah, I need to finish that this summer. That's my beach book. I always take it to the beach and then don't read it because I don't read it at the beach. I really want to. But, but I it do never beach happens. Stuff. I do beach stuff yeah. at the beach. Yeah. 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 I can read anywhere. I can't walk in the ocean. Truth. Yeah. Yeah, so it's Kurt Vonnegut, but I also, I don't read that much. What's your favorite so. Vonnegut? Palm Sunday. Ooh, that's a great one. I love Palm Sunday. Yeah, yeah. It's, and I, it's totally because I like more essay structured things, yeah. I think. Yeah. Kurt Vonnegut, to, if you don't have much experience with Kurt Vonnegut, oh, Welcome to Monkey House was actually the first one. Oh, well, I, after yeah. after slap uh, slapstick, I went into Welcome to Monkey House, which I would highly recommend. Uh, Thomas Edison's Shaggy Dog uh, is one of the stories in that. It's really accessible. You probably had to read it in middle school. Uh, <laughs> and Harrison Bergeron is mm. another really great one that has a really interesting idea of equality. Like it's when you try to make everything equal, you like stunt. It's really, it's a really good book. He's really another person story. you should do an episode on. Kravonigan? Yeah. Yes. I got to do my yeah, homework you first. Yeah, you do. But yeah. it could be one where I just talk to you about it. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but Kravonigan is, is really interesting as a teaser for that episode whenever it comes out, um, <laughs> is that he writes really creative stories, but also is pretty cynical about the structure of a novel. Yeah. And so he'll, like, um, Slaughterhouse-Five is probably his most uh, well-read book. Uh, in terms of school and stuff like mm-hmm. that. He has this really complicated science fiction plot. Yeah. And he does not care. Like, he comes up with this really thing, and then just, it's almost like The Big Lebowski, where The Big Lebowski has this really complicated noir plot and a, and a protagonist who does not care. Yeah. And, that, and so, but you have to do the work. The Coen brothers do the work in this really complicated plot and then spend very little time focusing on the plot. Yeah. And that's, like, Slaughterhouse-Five has this all this stuff, and then as an author, he, like, just he'll write and then stops caring about how a novel works and just start talking about like and play uh, uh breakfast of champions really does that he as an author kind of gives me they might be giants vibes yes well, all right, all right. Like, he's not trying to impress you no, i'm walking away with yeah. two new things to get into this oh episode. He's, this he's is good great. and then he has a fascinating relationship with religion so yes. whenever you talk about him there there will be a lot there and very much of the i like my my skepticism towards atheists he is very much an agnostic yeah who gets characterized as an atheist. And I think he maybe even called himself an atheist. He called himself a humanist. I mean, one of my favorite quotes from him is when he said, the only proof I have for the existence of God is music. Yeah. 
He's so great. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, he's a wild dude. 